you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. for reading that passage of scripture for us this morning. And uh, good morning and uh, grace to you all in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. So today I've been um, given the privilege to speak on church and worship. And as we sang that uh, last song, I exalt thee, I, I think from the congregation I heard some saying, we exalt thee. And truly I was so blessed just to hear that and we are called to worship God as a community, right? As one body in Christ. So, as I've been assigned this task of uh, sharing the word from church and worship, uh, the word was just read from Psalm 146. I've titled it, Praise, Trust, Justice, and Compassion. So, I won't lie, when, uh, when this passage was assigned to me, it was uh, a little bit of a wrestling for me for a few days to kind of figure out how I'm going to preach exclusively on worship, and only the first two passages speak on worship and praise. But nevertheless, here we are on, um, I think it's Football Sunday or Playoff Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, right? With just a sermon uh, short of three hours, so it shouldn't be too long. But uh, yeah, jokes aside, I'm truly grateful for the men and women uh, of our church, godly men and women in our church, who continue to pour out wisdom um, of encouragement and direct me to depend on God as I exegete the word of God while remembering that he truly is the one who qualifies those who are called to ministry. Today, we explore the timeless wisdom of Psalm 146. Now, we don't know exactly who wrote the psalm, um, precisely when it was written. Some scholars uh, defer it to being David, and some think it's uh, Haggai and Zechariah. But let our focus today not be on who exactly penned it down, but rather the one who has inspired it. So as we go through the text today, we will be exploring three areas as we break this psalm down. And the first one is church as a community of praise. The second is trusting in God alone. And the third is the church as a beacon of justice and compassion. So let's dive into the role of the church and the essence of true worship. May this psalm truly serve each and every one of us, church, to be a guide and a, and a reminder that it is indeed a privilege to worship the one true God, which is for our good and for his glory. Amen? So point number one, the church as a community of praise. See, in verse 1 of Psalm 146, the psalmist here is first addressing a congregation of people. Now, perhaps they were, they were gathered for a particular cer- ceremony or a, some sort of celebration. We don't know exactly what the reason was again here, but what we do know is that it was a gathering of a particular number of people or multiple people, right? And so the psalmist begins by exhorting the congregation, just like our LDE ended this morning, exhorting us to praise the Lord. He says, praise the Lord. Now, this exhortation was a call for those who are gathered to offer collective praise. 
individually as well, but also a collective praise to God. But right after this, he says something interesting. He says, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And you see the shift he makes here. Right? The psalmist moves from exhorting a congregation to preaching to himself now. You could see that he wanted his praise to be meaningful, right? not done out of compulsion or, or ritual, but from a place of sincerity and, and depth. You see, church, when we gather as a, as a body of Christ to praise the Lord as one community, it does not mean anything unless we individually prepare our heart, mind, and soul to offer up our praises to the Lord. You know, the church does not flourish just because it has the best sound system. Praise God, we have it. And for those who, have, who handle it faithfully every day. Um, and it does not even flourish just because we have the best instrumentalist or vocalist. Right? But the church flourishes when we honor the Lord and prepare our hearts to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the church becomes a community of praise when those who are gathered come with a contrite heart and a humble spirit, acknowledging their dependency on God, with thankful heart, because he gives us his daily mercy. But we should also be aware, church, that to be a community of praise, our worship must be acceptable God. Can everyone say acceptable? Acceptable to God. This means that we cannot simply do whatever we want in worship, right? Or something that we please or we think is right. After all, a God is not a God of disorder, but who in himself is the definition of order. So there is so many churches today, unfortunately, that make worship into a performance um, or a show. And there is even worse things that happen today where some have incorporated demonic traits or aspects disguised as being spiritual. But thanks be to God for faithful, godly men throughout church history, more specifically from the early 1600s, who ironed out biblical doctrine simplified and condensed them into 32 chapters called the London Baptist Confession. And they did it exclusively for the benefit of the church. Right? Let's take a quick look at chapter 22 of the London Baptist Confession. And it captures here a very key point on how we must orderly and acceptably offer our praises. And I quote, The acceptable way to worship the true God is instituted by him. And it is established by his own revealed will. Thus he may not be worshipped according to human imagination or inventions or the suggestions of Satan, nor through any visible representation, nor in any other way that is not prescribed in Holy Scripture. Note that every statement, if you see at the bottom there, you'll see them marked in red. Every statement made here is supported by Scripture. And I encourage all of you, if you get the opportunity to go online, it is a freely accessible um, uh, tool for all of us. And uh, there's a modern English as well that is, as we read, which is easy to comprehend. So in addition, to worship God in an acceptable manner and for the church to be a community and a beacon of praise, believers must 
meet together on the regular, right? And have, what's the word I'm looking for? Except for our elder Ian. Koinonia, right? Koinonia, fellowship, fellowship, right? We must have fellowship with one another. Last week, our, our LDN walked us through the importance of fellowship in the church. And likewise, this same text is applicable when it comes to church being a community of praise. Hebrews 10.25 says, Not neglecting to meet together as it is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing. So you see, church, meeting together regularly should not be just to satisfy like our social agendas, or to see people we like. It's easy to do that, isn't it? But rather, that we would encourage and build one another up in the faith through the partnership which we have in the fellowship through our Lord and Savior. And the two main aspects of this include discipleship and accountability, right? And preferably with uh, the same gender. However, if we, the church, collectively, we, the church, do not see the importance and the seriousness of meeting together on the regular or the need for discipleship and being discipled, then how should we become a community? In verse 2 of Psalm 146, the psalmist says that worshiping the Lord is part of his life and that he would do it until his dying breath. The question then is, can this be said? Of you and I, church. Now, this is not to say that you are always going to be in a state of joy and, and gladness uh, to offer ceaseless and blissful praise. In fact, the psalmist clearly states that in verse 7 and 9, that the Lord's people are not exempt from difficult times of life. He says that they will be oppressed, they will be hungry, they will be imprisoned, blind, bowed down, fatherless, widowed, and there are those in the world that will see to this. The reality is that when we are going through difficult seasons, church, our own, we can sometimes be blinded to the magnificent work the Lord is doing around us and for us. And so we fail to recall the profound work of the Lord that has happened. We fail to remember his goodness, his mercies, his grace that has been throughout, his provision. You see, you're not alone, church. John the Baptist being one of the greatest prophets as stated by Jesus himself, struggled to understand the work that the Lord was doing at a particular time. Now granted, he was in prison, carrying out the attitude of blissful praise. But then, Jesus helps John remember why he should not doubt. Praise God. From the word he sent through the disciples of John, John would then remember the prophecies made by Isaiah. Isaiah 29, verses 18 to 19, and 35, verses 5 to 10 speak of this. And then Jesus sent this message from Matthew 11 when he says, And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. See, the apostle Paul himself made mention to this, in the letter to the church in Rome. He says, yes, such persecutions will indeed happen. But do you not know that the love of Christ is far greater? Romans 8.35 says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then he follows up with an encouragement from verse 37 when he says, no, in all these things, we have complete victory through him who loved us. So church, what does this mean in you and I today? It means that we cannot base our praise for the Lord when we're just feeling happy. It is not a feeling-based relationship, right? Or a mood that we are in in the moment. And if you are sincerely walking with the Lord, you know that praising Him cannot and does not rest on a good day or having a good day or having a bubbly personality even. Rather, it must be our daily resolve. It must be our daily and an hourly choice. Those who know the Father through Christ offer him praise. Could we then, church, as a community of praise, join the psalmist today in preaching to ourselves first, saying, praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, O my soul. As well as echo the apostle's word, the apostle Paul's word, as an exhortation to others when he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Can we say this together, church? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know, there is also another very crucial aspect to being a community of praise. And that is trusting in God alone. Trusting in God alone. You know, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, which was the result of trusting in Satan's lies, mankind has been very susceptible to trusting in people or or things more than in God, sadly. This is because of the ingrowing sin nature within us that continues to grow and grow and grow as we continue to feed it. You know, we love to buy into things people, when people promise us the pleasures of the world, like money and, and status. And so we run after these things that are, that are perishing rather than seek the eternal things of God. This even includes being deceived by false teachers and preachers. Their agenda is to twist the word of God so that it will point to them rather than point to God. See in the text in verse 3 and 4, it says, Psalmist says, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that day, his plan Now I want to clarify that second part in verse 3 just briefly. Um, I know some of your versions might read a little bit differently. In the NASB, it says, do not trust in princes, in mortal men. Okay, so just to bring a little bit of clarity to that, the son, when it says a son of man, this in fact is referring to mortal man and not the Lord Jesus. So we have clarity on that. You see, context truly is, is everything, right? Here in the passage of the Psalms, the son of man simply means a human being, a creature, and thus to put our trust in man is ontologically wrong. Why? Because only God is true while every man is a liar. Romans 3, 4. And the cursed are all who put trust in man and not in God. Jeremiah 17, 5. 
So this brings us to another very crucial doctrinal statement from the London Baptist Confession that we as a church too hold fast. This part gives us a summary of the exclusivity of praise, or rather you could say exclusivity of worship. And I quote, Religious worship is to be given to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to Him alone, not to angels, saints, or any other creature. Since the fall, worship is not to be given without a mediator, nor through any mediation other than Christ alone. Again, you will see uh, the passages that support this. Um, so please, if you have the desire, take a read. Read through the whole chapter. Read the other chapters. It will be very encouraging to you. Now, if you recall in the Old Testament, those who wanted to offer worship to God had to do so through mediators, right? And these mediators were priests, especially in the Jewish religion, and so as well in some secular uh, pagan religions. But you see, church, these priests and these people were sinful men themselves, just like, just like you and I. And their rituals of worship on behalf of others had to be repeated time and time again throughout the year. And then after their death or their, or their tenure of priesthood had ended, there would be other priests who come and take on the same responsibility and perpetually carry it through. Right? Sadly, however, to this day, we have certain denominations within Christianity that believe saints or people that have already passed away or physically died or angels in heaven are mediators between God and man. And some hold to the uh, thought that even priests today act as the high priest between God and mankind. But I have to say, church, this is false, completely false. Why? Because Revelation 19.10. Remember the angels stopped John from bowing down to him? from any form of reverence or worship. Right? If you read the passage, you'll say it. Then again in John 14, verse 6, Jesus was not mincing his words. He was not a person to mince his words ever, right? He was explicit about the exclusivity about his role as mediator. In church, nowhere in the canon of Scripture does it state that Christians who have died are now interceding or praying for us. Therefore, the church... To assume that anyone other than Christ can intercede for you, those who have passed away or angels, is simply not true. It's not biblical, and therefore, to continue in such practices would be blasphemous. Thanks be to God, the Father who sent his Son, Jesus, to be the ultimate sacrifice for all who believe. Amen? Amen. Not just that, he is now and forever the only mediator between humanity and God the Father. The office of mediator is held in the supremacy of Christ alone, church. In his nature, he is God alone and unchanging. Now come back with me to verse 3 and 4. They come up on the screen. You see, in times of uh, monarchs, when monarchs ruled and uh, kings and queens ruled nations, Princes were seen as some of the most notable influences of society. You probably heard of influences today from all social media platforms, pretty similar to that. Perhaps they were known for setting trends or being social activists of, of those times. But for our context here, we can say that the psalmist was referring to individuals 
who had influence over society. Yet, however influential or powerful these influences might be, the psalmist exhorts the congregation to not put them on the same level as God, not to put them on the same plane as God. After all, whatever help or support that comes from mortal men are always short-lived. It can never last forever. The Lord, who is the source of all blessing, which he is eternal, he is consistent, he is just, and acts in the fullness of his perfect and unchangeable nature. Then in verse 4, the psalmist also speaks of the inevitable plight of the mortal man by saying that no matter the amount of power, strength, or good works they do, they are just one breath away from the grave. Just let us pause here just for a brief moment and reflect on this fact. We heard tragic news today about Jonathan um, who has passed away. And truly, like, we never know the time that the Lord will come. You know, sometimes we can be naive to think that the people we love and the people we even depend on might always be there to help us, okay? The reality is, church, that none of us know if this is the last day or the last hour the Lord will allow for breath in our lungs. This goes even for our loved ones and for those who we might depend deeply on. But even in this bleakest thought, here's a truth that I want us to remember. Until God is done using us for his purposes, we will have breath in our lungs. And why is it? For our good, for his glory. I love what Pastor Deo said uh, two weeks ago um, when he said, you must shift from independence, or in this case, dependency on others, to dependence on God. Just let us take comfort knowing that even when people fail you, it might be your parents, your spouse, your children, or even your church family, you can still continue to trust in God because he is faithful. Which brings us to verse 5 and 6 the text when he says, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. Now the psalmist tells us that God who is almighty, who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever hope for or imagine. And if so, church, if you're wondering today, how do I serve the Lord? How can I run the race of obedience and not just be a spectator? Put your trust in the Lord. He who is able to make the impossible possible. Or he will be the source of your help and the source of your hope, church. Call upon him in your weakness, for he is strong. Hope in him who is faithful and sovereign over all. Now, if you recall the story of uh, Jacob and Esau, it spreads all the way from Genesis chapter 25 to chapter 33. These twins were against each other from the very beginning, right? Jacob, through his cunning plan, stole the blessing that was for Esau and then fled. But even in this, the Lord was providential. And in fact, he made it known to Rebecca, their mother, while she was still pregnant with them, that such a rivalry would take place. 
So I'll give you a good reason why I'm telling this. The condensed story of this arc is that Jacob, knowing that what he did was wrong, feared his brother Esau, who was a much stronger man than himself. Perhaps he assumed the next time he met with Esau would be probably his last hour of life itself. But after 20 years go by, Jacob returns back to the promised land to find out that his brother Esau is now on his way to meet him. Pretty scary thing, I would assume, he was enduring. Now, fearing the worst outcome that his entire household will be slaughtered, he decides to put a bunch of people together, like groups, divided from his family, and then put his servants up front and the rest of his family behind in certain groups. Assuming that if the first group was to be slaughtered, he has some time to get them to a measure of safety. Right? He was a very thoughtful man. After all, he was a cunning person that thought through the whole thing of taking Esau's blessing. Right? Anyways, as Jacob waited for the inevitable, he finds himself wrestling with God throughout the night and asking for his blessing. And so as dawn came around, the Lord did give Jacob his blessing, but with a twist by dislocating his hip. Now, I've never dislocated a hip, but uh, uh, if you have or even sprained it, you know how difficult it is to even move around, right? Any sort of injury from below the waist can really hinder, even your back, can hinder your movements. You can't walk, you can't run, let alone run away from the brother that's trying to kill you, perhaps, right? So it's a very inconvenient place to be in and limits your movements drastically. You see, church, by the Lord hindering Jacob's mobility, it caused him to be in full dependence on God and not in his own strength. Jacob was in the full mercy and reliance on God to protect him from this potential threat, his brother Esau. Even so we see how amazing this blessing goes on to be, right? As God bestowed this blessing on Jacob, he not only had his life spared, but he experienced the love of his brother Esau, who hugged him, cried along with him. This is despite Jacob taking away his blessing, right? So church, as we put our trust in God alone, we have the confidence that the God of Jacob will be our help and our hope as well. Why? Because unlike princes and those of finite influence, God is all-powerful. He's the creator and the sustainer of the universe, right? And he, he's forever faithful to those who earnestly call upon him. And so let us, church, strive towards being a community of faith that meets together with that deep reliance on God alone who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And finally, as we come to the third point, the church as a beacon of justice and compassion. Now, throughout the last uh, few years since we have even moved to uh, this building, it has been so encouraging to see how the Lord has made a way for this little church at 1640 Carmen Drive to partner with various organizations that help those in need. You know, by the grace of God, we have been able to put together care packages and, uh, and or those in the shelters um, to help the homeless and the hungry. And we have recently partnered with the Pregnancy Care Clinic 
to give material support. And some of you had even gone further to partner with them in taking the first response program. Praise God. And of course, not forgetting our overseas missionaries who are laboring at this very hour to bring the gospel of the good news to marginalized communities. Now, a truly church has been the Lord's faithfulness that has carried this ministry for the past 19 years. I know some of you that have gone on missions know this and have seen this themselves firsthand. There's nothing short of God's faithfulness that has kept this ministry, and he who began this good work will see to completion. And among these listed, we recently had um, an organization called Bridge North, a foundation that came and uh, spoke on human trafficking. And in fact, this is the trafficking of, uh, of young women and girls happen sadly in our very own neighborhood. As a church, as we consider, let's prayerfully ask God to give us uh, the understanding and the wisdom to provide and to join in this mission of showing justice and compassion for those in need. You see, church, all these opportunities right, we have been given is nothing short of a privilege and another opportunity for us to serve the Lord. We, the church, collectively and individually serve the Lord by becoming a beacon of justice and hope for those who are in need of it. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 25, he spoke to this, he said, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then verse 40 says, And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to And if you feel like you don't have the resources today, the skills, or even the energy perhaps to partner with any one of these things that was mentioned in Matthew 25, I'm sorry to say, but you'll perhaps don't understand or know who the God of the Bible is. In verse 7 to 9 of Psalm 146, the psalmist tells us that God executes justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, redeems the captives, gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are downcast. He watches over the homeless and takes care of the widows and the fatherless. But how does the Lord accomplish this task? Yes, he's able to accomplish this task without the need of any one of us or anything at all, but he calls on us, his bride, church, to be the vessels of justice and compassion. That simply is you and I, church, all of us sitting here this evening, this morning, and those watching online. How do we, the church, engage in this call? Well, it starts with our obedience to the call, isn't it? Ask yourself this question, am I willing to partner with any one of these ministries the Lord has entrusted the church? And I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to pack your bags now and move to Guatemala. Just, just look around. Look around your communities. Look around your own families, church. You will see the, God, the Lord showing you the opportunities you have to serve them with justice and compassion, with love. As we saw earlier, the psalmist exhorted the congregation in verse 5 to 6 by reminding them that the God of Jacob is the same God who is our help. He is forever faithful, and he surely 
will be your help and your hope, especially when you engage in the ministry's gospel. Why? Because he delights, church, in those who depend and trust on him alone. The church can stand as a beacon of justice, compassion for the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoners, the blind, the fatherless, the widowed, and the lonely. So as I conclude and bring this to a close, we looked at three key points this evening. First being the church as a community of praise. We must collectively come together, church, preparing our heart, mind, soul, and strength weekly, daily, to offer him our praise. And second, we must trust in God alone. Trusting in man will lead us down a path of destruction. Trusting in things or possession or wealth can lead us down destruction. Let us trust in God alone. The third, we must be committed to being a source of help and hope for those in need by being a just of compassion. So as we gather for worship this week, I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to make their way up. You know, we, we gather week after week you know, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. But as we gather, may our souls resound with the psalmist's cry, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And may our worship be more than just a ritual, church, more than a routine or done under any form of compulsion. Rather, may it be a dynamic expression of trust in the one who is our help and our hope. Church, this evening, or this morning at least, let us leave this church with a commitment in our hearts to building and magnifying the name of our Lord. Trust in him alone. Actively engage in justice and compassion. Because he is faithful. May the church be a living testimony to the enduring faithfulness of our God, for our good, for his glory. Father God, we just want to come to you this evening and this morning, O oh God, just thanking you for your grace, O oh Lord, that has sustained us. We thank you for walking us, helping us walk through this passage, O oh God, that talks about, Father, trusting in you alone, being a community of Praise, O God, and engaging in the ministries which you have called us to show justice and compassion to those in need. God, we can do none of these, O God, in our own strength because, Father, we would fail if we had to try any of these, Father, thinking that we got it. But, Lord, it is you alone that sustain every ministry. Every good work is done for your glory and for our good, O God. Be with us today, God. Help us to not trust in things that are falling short, O God. Let us not Trust in princes or people of influence, but let us trust in you, O God, who's faithful forever. And may we worship you, God, day and night, ceaselessly, because you are our God and you are faithful forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.